today's scripture reading from Ephesians 1, chapters 1 through 14. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. You know, one of the most important questions in life, what are some of the really great and important questions in life? One of them might be, well, who's going to win the big game today? <laughs> you know, we got a couple of games going on, and some of us who are football fans are curious about that. Others of us might be wondering, well, who's going to win the, who's going to get nominated for the Academy Awards? Where, who's gonna, what are the movies, the best actors, that sort of thing? Some people of us might be saying, well, the huge question in life is who's going to win the war against the war about the wall? <laughs> you know, who knows? You know, what, all these big questions in life, the ultimate questions in life. But what are the huge, the hugest questions in life, the biggest questions in life? What are some of the things that matter the most in all of the world? The book of Ephesians, which we've just begun to study a little bit together, uh, gives to us some uh, insight about that. What are the really important questions in life? And as this book opens, he begins with a statement, blessed be the God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love, uh, blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through, his, the, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with in the Beloved. This verse, these verses, which Peggy read for you from the third verse to the 14th verse, actually encompass in the Apostle Paul the, uh, uh, the just one full sentence, a great litany of praise, of thanksgiving to God for some of the things that he has 
given to us? Well, I think it begins to answer some really uh, uh, important questions, like the questions of, uh, of significance. Do I really matter? Am I just a speck of dust in the universe of time? You know, there's that famous poem by Stephen Crane that said, Sir, I exist. And the universe said to me, that poses upon me no obligation. We want to know that our existence matters. So we have to find whether, uh, we, we want to find whether or not there's any real rhyme or reason to our lives in the universe. So we find our significance sometimes. Do I really matter, we ask. We find our significance often in our accomplishments or in our relationships or in our successes or in our jobs. Our significance is found in those things. But here we see that the Apostle Paul lets us know, first of all, that our significance is found in that we have been adopted as Christ's children. We have adopted, chosen, and adopted as God's children. Look what it says in the first few verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved. You know, I am privileged that in some of my family situations, not in my own family, I've had seen parents who have adopted their children. They have all the rights and privileges of being a child, a flesh and blood child of their, of their father and mother, even though they had a different origin to life. In fact, I, uh, uh, I, I, I know of a couple of stories recently in our family where uh, someone who had been adopted long ago sought out the biological mother uh, and, and found her, and it made such a beautiful difference in her life, and she was so grateful to know that her mother had given her up to adoption so she had a good and, 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 and loving life together with her family. We've been adopted into a great family family, he says. We feel alienated, disoriented, but we have a place. We have a belonging in our adoption. He has made us his children. You know, the question of our own significance is a really important question. How do you know you really matter? Now, I have a couple of grandchildren and a third on the way, and I know that our, these young grandchildren have such a sense of, of uh, 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 comfort and security because they've got a family that loved them and have cared for them. Even when they're disciplined, they know that their mom and dad are there for them. And so there is a sense of security that we have. One of the beautiful blessings that the gospel gives to us and that Ephesians goes on to tell us about, tells us about the fact that we belong to the one who has loved us and given himself for us. He speaks about in the second chapter that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins, but that God has made us alive together in Christ and called us to be his family and to be his children if we respond in faith to him. The Apostle Paul is alluding to that here in, in this text because he's saying we have been adopted by him before the foundations of the world. I... I don't know if you ever went to, uh, uh, were involved in the sports as in high school or in junior high, and you used to have gymnasium class, and then you pick teams. They've been on the line when you're picking teams. It's always a very uncomfortable and awkward experience, isn't it? It's awkward unless you're just sure you're the best or one of the best, and usually there's a few 
keep a, but a lot of times, oh, okay, yeah, I'll take Paul. If I got to take him, I'll take him. <laughs> He's like, sorry, Paul, that, I'm sure that's never happened to you, but, uh, um, you know, that's how we often feel in life. But the reality is that God has chosen us to be part of his family. We have a significance because of his selection of us as part of his family. We're, 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 he's chosen us, it says, from before the foundation of the world. Even before the world was created, God knew what would happen. He knew there would be sin in the world. He knew we would reject him. But even before that, he had had a plan to adopt us into his family through his son, Jesus Christ. Adopted into his family through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes you come to this idea of predestined to us as adoption as sons. You might say, well, that's a little chauvinistic. But if you think about it, in that day, it was when the sons were adopted that they had all the rights and privileges and the, and the inheritance that was theirs. It was to be adopted. Women and men were both adopted as sons, you'd say. You see what I'm saying? We all had. And one of the beautiful things about the Christian gospel is it gave to women equal standing before God as, as men had. They were chosen to gather with him. In Christ, Galatians 3 says, there's neither male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. So when he says adopted us as sons, that's a real blessing. That means whoever you are, no matter what your ethnic background, no matter what your geographic background, no matter what your economic background, no matter your gender at all, you're adopted as his sons. You have all the rights. And in fact, he goes on later to talk about the inheritance, which is ours. We have the inheritance, 13th and 14th, um, 11 to 14th verses. We have, we have been given inheritance because we're adopted into his family. So many of us feel insecure we feel like we don't really matter. We measure up against whatever standards are out there, and we feel like we don't quite fit in. All of us feel that way to a degree. The gospel tells us that we have been accepted and loved and selected and adopted by the very one who made this universe. We've been adopted into his family. So as to the question of significance, do I really matter? In, outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is hard to say why any human being really matters. If we are here purely as a result of natural selection and no divine involvement as well, and we just are, the world has a, you know, begins with a bang and ends with a whimper and it all ends, and, and, and death is the absolute end for every person, there really is no ultimate significance to our humanity. But the reality of the gospel is that we have been given a a relationship with God through faith in him, which will last throughout all of eternity. So I have a significance that goes far beyond my pedigree. Now, perhaps you've had an experience like I have in your life where there's been some serious downturn in your life. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a marriage. Maybe you've been alienated from your children or from your parents. Maybe you've had a, a, your business go bankrupt or you have to declare personal bankruptcy. Or maybe you've had an illness which has really severely debil debilitated your life. Or maybe you've been fired from your job or had a business have to go through terrible times. All of us have been through some kind of trauma in our lives. And we have to then ask ourselves the question, Does my, is my life defined by my health? Is my life defined by my wealth? Is my significance found in the fact that I am Mr. and Mrs. or whatever it might be? Is my significance found in the degrees behind my name or the zeros in my checkbook? Where is my significance found? 
I know that for me, when I, as many of you will know, there was a time when we started a church which did not succeed. And at the end of that time period, I found myself in a place of serious questioning about who I was. I mean, my identity had been as a Christian and as a Christian pastor. I had never had a church. I had never been in a place where I didn't have a church to go to. I mean, I was in church from the time I could breathe, probably. And I always had a church. I went to a church. And uh, the only time I felt somewhat churchless, homeless, was when I first went to college and I was in another area, and uh, for the first year that I was there, we kind of fiddled around and went down to different churches, and kind of, and I didn't, I remember feeling disconnected at that point. That was the only time. And now here I found myself at a point where I had, because the church had, had not succeeded, I now no longer had a job. That was scary. First time that had ever happened. I no longer had a church to get up and go to. Well, that was scary, you see? I no longer had the identity of being Pastor Steve to a church family. That was scary. Now, it may not sound scary to you, but if you've ever found yourself without a job or without a home, a church home, or with no longer the ability to use the gifts in your career that you wanted to do, among all the issues related around that, there, it forced me to ask the question, Steve, what is your true significance found in? Is it found in the fact that people call you pastor? Or is it found in the fact that I call you son? Well, there was a part of me that said, well, I like being your son, but I want to be a pastor. You see? It's in those moments when we need to find that we truly matter. Truly matter. Not because we can pay our bills. Not because we can bicycle 100 miles. Not because we look like we want to look. Not because people like us or don't, you know. Uh, not because our true significance is found in the fact that I am the son or the daughter of God. I have become part of his family. And no matter what happens to me with my health, my relationships, my wealth, my job, all those things, those things are all important things, but they're not ultimate things. The ultimate thing is I have been blessed in the heavenly place with every spiritual blessing because in Christ, God chose me to be part of him. And he has adopted me into his family. And I'm along with the beloved. That's my ultimate true identity. And not even death can take that away from me. And neither can any other lesser problem in my life. You see, the question of your significance is not purely an academic question or a philosophical question. It's a real heartfelt question. Because many of us are looking for our significance in those things. And when a, an, a, an important thing becomes an ultimate thing, you've heard me say it before, it becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. It becomes your God. And you must bow to it. And it is not the forgiving God that loved you and gave yourself for, for you. Loved you and gave himself for you. Our adoption into God's family answers that question. How do I know that I really matter. What is my ultimate significance in life? It's found because God has adopted me into his family, and no one, no circumstance, no downturn, no problem can ever take that away from me. And if you hang on, that's one reason we gather for worship each week, because we want to be reminded that that's the true story. Because let's face it, we have lots of ugly stories that happen in our lives, Sometimes they don't have good solutions right now. But we can cling to that story 
And I belong to God, not because of my behavior or because of my goodness, but because he has loved me and given himself for me, which leads me to the second important question that is alluded to here in this opening section. And that's the, I, we were talking about the question of significance. Do I really matter? <laughs> the, 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 this is the question I would call the question of shame, which is, what's the matter with me? What's wrong? What's going wrong with me? Have you found that your, your life, you find yourself shooting yourself in the foot half the time? You find yourself not living up to your own personal standards, you know, not, not living up to God's standards, and th that there's just something wrong with us in this world. What's wrong with me, and what's wrong with this world? We know this is a beautiful world. Why do we hate each other so much? Why can't we get along? And if you say it's just because no one, they all, if they all just agreed with me, it'd be fine, you're, that's your problem. That is the problem. We want the world to revolve around ourselves. You know, if he's going too slow in front of me, get out of my way. I don't care what's going on. If I'm going too slow in front of him, what's your problem back there? Has it ever happened to you? Yeah. It's the, it's the question of what's wrong? What's wrong and what do we do about it? What's wrong with me? What's wrong? We have this sense of right and wrong. And yet, we can't follow it as well as we want to. It's, maybe this is only my issue, but I think it's all of us. You can sit here in church, or you can read your Bible, or you can have a moment of reflection, and you say, I am never going to do that again. That is really bad for me. I don't like what it does to me or for anyone else around me. I am not going to do that anymore. And then what happens? The next thing comes up, and the lie comes out just like you said it wouldn't, or the cheating on the issue just comes out, just like you said. What's the matter? Why, why? And what do I do about it? This is the question of shame. It's the story of the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and immediately their eyes were naked, open, and they felt shame. And what did they do? They covered themselves up. They hid from God. They refused to accept responsibility. They blamed others. And that's what happens all the time. How do I then find myself dealing with this problem? I mean, well, what, one of the ways we often deal with our shame is we blame someone else. I wouldn't be, I've heard husbands say, I told you I would never be a good husband. You should have known better. I've heard people say that. As if whatever happened in the past is their excuse for their behavior. We blame. Well, Adam, of course, did it. When God said to him, did you eat the tree? He didn't cowboy up. What did he do? He said, the woman you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate it. In other words, it's her fault and it's your fault. You know? And the woman said, the snake. The snake did it. We've been, we often are, and so many times when we have difficulty in our life, we want to blame. In fact, sometimes that's what therapy is about, just finding someone to blame for my problem. Right? That's not that to say that some people aren't to blame, but to simply play the blame game keeps me always in a victim state and gives me excuse for my behavior. And that doesn't change anything, does it? Yeah, we can blame it. We can also just sort of uh, 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 pretend it's not really there. It's not that big of a deal. But the reality is we have a dark spot in our hearts 
My Solzhenitsyn said, the lines between good and evil run right down the middle of every human heart. Famous statement, which we often forget every time a political crisis comes up, every time an ethical crisis comes up, every time an us versus them comes up, every time a fight between a man and a woman and a, a husband and a wife comes up, we forget that the lines between good and evil are not on this side. I'm on the good side. You're on the bad side. But the lines between good and evil run right in the middle of every human heart. You know it's true. You know you have the desire to do good. But you also know there's this other part of you that continue grasps against that and, and forces you and, and begs you to give in to what you know to be wrong. How do I deal with my forgiveness? How, how do I get, how, how to deal with my, my shame? I can blame. I can, I can anesthetize my shame. A lot of us do that. A lot of us do that. We think it was just found by, just let me have my own space. <laughs> let me go do my own thing. Let me just drink a little of this or smoke a little of that or do a little of this or do a little of the other. And at least for a little while, I won't feel the pain that I'm going through. Of course, it only exacerbates the situation, doesn't it? So we can blame. <laughs> we can anesthetize our pain, our, our shame, or we can receive forgiveness. That's what the gospel gives to us. See, the problem with making something else your ultimate in your life is it can't forgive you. It can't forgive you. Your career can't forgive you for failing, right? It can't. But the God who loved you and made you can forgive you. Notice what it goes on to say. To the praise, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in the beloved blessed us in Jesus, his beloved in him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished his grace in order to give to us his forgiveness. You see, we can blame others for our shame or we can accept God's forgiveness. We can come before him. And, uh, uh, and we can bow our hearts before him and say to them, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And the Lord can say to us, I've already forgiven you. I forgave you on the cross when Jesus died. And now you're grasping hold of her forgiveness, which has always, always been available to you, but which you were too stupid to accept. He may not say it quite like that. And so we come and we say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing me. Oh, and I look at that cross and I think about how much you suffered for me and you did it for me. I want to try to do penance for my forgiveness. I want to do something to make it up. I can't make it up. I can't make it up. I need to simply receive it. Because a lot of us think even going to church or reading our Bibles or doing or giving some money, that's a way of doing penance for our sins. No, we don't do penance for our sins. Lord Jesus Christ already died for our sins. He offers to us forgiveness as we trust in him. In him, we have redemption through his blood. What's that talking about? It's talking about that day when the Holy Son of God, who had worn human clothes for 30-some years, walked down a hill, walked up a hill, carried a cross, climbed on a tree, 
and shed his blood for our forgiveness and said there on the top of that tree when he got up there, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Oh, there's such a beautiful thing that can happen in our lives when we can begin to understand that our significance is not found in our good deeds or in our, you know, in our, uh, 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 you know, our accomplishments or our relationships or all these things that culture tries to say you matter because. But our significance is found in that we have been adopted as God's children. We belong to him through faith in him. And what a freedom can come as well when we begin to understand that, yes, there are things that we have done that are wrong. There are evils that we have committed, but that Jesus himself has given his life so that we could be forgiven. He gave his blood so that we could be set free. What a freedom it can come when I don't have to blame everybody else for my behavior. When I don't have to do penance for my behavior. I don't have to explain it away, but I can simply say I was wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And I can say to those whom I have hurt, Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Yes. There is a beautiful blessing that comes when we can begin to understand that we are significant. We matter because we've been adopted as his children. And that our, how do I deal with my shame? I can do it by receiving his forgiveness. So that we walk around as the fully forgiven, unconditionally loved children of God. As you go through this week, I encourage you, if you've not already done so, to respond in faith to Jesus Christ, to trust in him for your salvation, and then to go from here, as all of us should, to say, I am the fully forgiven, unconditionally loved child of God. That is my identity. That is who I am. And whatever it is that, that, that says to me, this will make you significant. This will show that you matter. I will know that that's a lie. I will see those things as perhaps important, but not as ultimate. And then whenever I fail, whenever I find, find evil working its way through my life, I can say to myself, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for forgiving me, for, make, for cleansing me, and for making me your child. I refuse to blame others for my, uh, my failures. I refuse to hide out from others regarding my favors, my, my, my failures. But I can say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I can walk in this world as the freely forgiven, unconditionally loved child of God. Now, there are four blessings that are found in this book. But these two are worth thinking about. And reflecting on, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Past tense. He's already blessed you that way. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I am significant because God has selected me and God has adopted me. I belong to him. I am his child. My ultimate source of significance is found in that and out of that, all the other important sources of significance find their place. But that is the hub. That is the center. 
And then he goes on to say, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. I love that phrase. He lavished on us. Too many of us think, think that God is trying to just, he's holding out on us. He's, oh, there's enough. I'll help you. He's lavishing it on. You ever been, do you remember when you were a kid and you'd get like, there was a place we used to go to JB's restaurant here. Are they still in town? JB's restaurant. We used to take our kids there and for, you know, that's what parents do, find cheap places to eat. And you could always go and you could, and when you bought your meal, you could get this little, you get a cup for us ice cream. And when you get, you try to get as much of that ice cream in there as you can, right? Lavishing. That's what it's saying. God's grace has been lavished on us. What? The grace of his forgiveness. God doesn't just hold his arms and say, okay, I'll help you out this time. Don't let it happen again. He doesn't do that. He lavishes on us his forgiveness so that I can walk through this world as the freely forgiven, unconditionally loved child of God. That's who I am. And if I can be that person, everything else in my life can find its proper place. And he noticed that it says this all happens in Christ, in Christ. It's all the way through here, in Christ. You've never responded to Christ. These blessings are not yours just yet. You need to respond in faith to Jesus, who bought for us redemption through his blood, who adopted us as his children by the sacrifice of his life. You and I can respond in faith to that. And so as we receive the Lord's table here this morning, I trust that you can do so, and if you've not yet done so, by responding in faith to Jesus, saying, Lord, I, I want you to be the source of my significance. I want you to be the source of my sense of forgiveness and how I deal with my shame. I don't want to operate in the other ways anymore. I want to follow you, your child. Thank you for giving your life for me. Let's have prayer. We'll be close. Lord Jesus Christ, this little letter to the church there at Ephesus still speaks to us today, nearly 2,000 years later. And the truth is, even though we don't always think about it, the, um, the truth is that we struggle to find our true significance. And we struggle to deal with our own sin and shame. Help us not to cover ourselves up like Adam and Eve did, or to blame one another, or to hide out from you. Help us simply to embrace your forgiveness, the redemption that is available to us through your blood. And help us to affirm that we are significant because you loved us and gave yourself for us. That we are, therefore, the fully forgiven, unconditionally loved children of God. Help us to live that way. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.